Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what is the future of Canada-China relations following the release of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovry? These two men have gone through an unbelievably difficult ordeal. Uh, for the past thousand days, uh, they have shown strength, perseverance, resilience, and grace. And we are all inspired by that. The Conservative Party remains divided on Aaron O'Toole's future. It's going to be really, really tough because a lot of these people are already whispering in all of our ears about how unhappy they are. And I suspect that whispering is going to continue and continue. We've all seen what happens, whether it's the Liberals or the Conservatives when they're in opposition. Uh, their leaders can be uh, can face a lot of nasty stuff from inside their caucus, and I suspect that's going to happen with him. And what comes next for the re-elected Liberal government? Typical of uh, every end of a parliament and the beginning of a new parliament, so we'll need a speech from the throne. That's a requirement to, to start parliament. Pro forma, they'll come back and elect the speaker, and in all likelihood, you'd think it would be the speaker who was there last time, Anthony Rota was re-elected. So that seems like a, a natural thing. And before all of that, Justin Trudeau has to uh, pick a cabinet. It's Monday, September 27th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Morning, Mark. In the aftermath of the return of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor to Canada, there's a lot to talk about. Obviously, Canadians were, I think, overjoyed on the weekend seeing images of them reunited with their families. Um, but there are still many questions. And I, you know, I think one of the more interesting elements of this was just how coincidental it was, timing-wise, to the return of Meng Wanzhou to China and the 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 obvious admission by China that these two things were were linked as which is what everybody was alleging all along but but was was not acknowledged by China until now and uh, what do you think all this means and and what it what it indicates for the future of Canada China relations no i think it uh, you know it indicates mark uh, uh, you know of you know a really complicated relationship and uh, you know really complicated uh, path forward, you know, I think the combination of uh, of relief and I think sort of anger, you know, anger and, and uh, to some degree a disbelief uh, that this all fell the way it fell, and you know, you know that China made a decision to release the the two Michaels. That you know, yes, the, these things were connected, but for reasons of health. Well, there've been lots of questions about how they were being treated for the whole three years they've been there. Uh, so that's not new, but just the the straight line connection now from you know the the, the circumstances around the release of Meng Wanzhou and then the release of the two Michaels. I think like, you know a lot of Canadians are saying, "You kidding me here? Like what, like what what do we do? What does it mean? Uh, when does it happen again?" And I think there's going to be a, a lot of serious questions about how this relationship should be moving forward. Uh, what happens the next time there's a conflict? Uh, you know that uh, between Canada and China, and, and Canada takes a, a posture that China doesn't agree with. Are they going to scoop up more Canadians? Uh, how does how does Canada protect itself when the consequences are so big between a challenge to two different visions of human rights and the rule of law, and yet the you know this giant powerful economy in a, in a much smaller 
country trying to continue some kind of an economic relationship. So I'll be really interested to see what the next, you know, and I think it's going to, we're probably going to see some kind of developments fairly quickly um, about how Canada thinks it's going to play this situation. And we heard from the foreign affairs minister on the weekend talking about the need to compete, the need to challenge, and that's going to be Canada's posture. Well, I think that's always been Canada's posture. So that doesn't seem strictly new to me. Uh, the question is, how is this government going to apply that kind of thinking to this relationship? Will it be any different? Or will Canadians be waiting for the next time that, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, China takes some sort of action in response to a, a Canadian action uh, that, um, you know, that Canada will um, try to figure out a way out of and, and, and what that will mean for yeah. that relationship. So it's going to be complicated, but I think it's going to reveal itself in, in some way in the next uh, few months, I think. Yeah, and I think one of the things that when the when the joy subsides, when the relief subsides, that the persistent question, I think, will be, you know, this was a, a form, obviously, of hostage diplomacy, as it was described uh -huh. many times, and effectively, it worked in the end for China. They, they got what they wanted, and, um, and increasingly, as China gains power in the world— uh, the the question will become how do you how do you respond to that how do you push back against an increasingly powerful regime? Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, the other thing is it will you know I, I think there's still a lot of questions about exactly you know we we hear in the reports that you know China uh, made the overtures for the release of the two Michaels to Canada saying uh, you know let's make this happen because progress was you know being made in the last few weeks on. The release of Meng Wanzhou, but I suppose there's we should have lots of questions as well about uh, you know uh, the timing of all of this. There have been lots of uh, been lots of pressure from a lot of different quarters, uh, ex diplomats, different people suggesting that the uh, the way out of this was to uh, you know stop stop the prosecution, the extradition process, and that the Americans would have to step up and do that, which eventually happened. And, you know, they got a deal with Meng Wanzhou about, uh, that would lead to her release, and so Canada was sort of caught up in all of this. So questions about that relationship as well. But, you know, I, you know, I was with some people uh, this weekend watching all of this develop, and it's interesting, the first impulse, and they were sort of in lockstep, Mark, one right after the other was relief, all the two Michaels are free, and then instant anger. But I can't believe China did this to us. So there will be lots of questions about uh, and this will be a, a theme, I think, uh, this fall when Parliament reconvenes. This will be sort of high up on the agenda about the relationship and where Canada wants to take it. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's turn to more domestic issues. And, and we'll talk in a moment about the resumption of Parliament, uh, the selection of a cabinet, the, the creation of a throne speech, and all of those priorities for Justin Trudeau. But Let's spend a moment on the future of Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. Uh, there has been more talk about what that looks like. There have been people calling for him to step down as leader and others defending him. Um, how how do you see this being resolved once and for all? At some point, the party's going to have to make a decision about uh, and Aaron O'Toole as well. He seems to want to keep his job and, and run in the next election as Conservative leader. But this is going to have to get resolved at some point, right? Absolutely, and it's not. And the more you know, and it, it, it at one point, Mark, it doesn't even matter whether people are, you know, sort of the two sides are sawing off over support for him, and people who want to, you know, boot him out of his job. As long as people are talking about it, it's an intolerable situation. I mean, we saw this sort of 
you know, drip, drip uh, around Andrew Shear when he got pushed out, you know, and, and so it feels like the same kind of thing. And it'll depend on, you know, whether, and it's very hard to, to find a way out for Aaron O'Toole, I think, if you watch what's happened in the process. I mean, he took the party, he won the leadership a certain way, promising certain things, and uh, took a different tack, abandoned a lot of those uh, promises to uh, campaign on that. Well, does he go back to the old promises now? I mean, some are suggesting that, well, he can stay as long as he campaigns. Well, that might satisfy, you know, people in the party who wanted to see him lose his job, but what does it mean for the electorate? So the guy that campaigned on this last time is still there. Now he's saying none of that was for real. We're back campaigning on the other stuff that the guy before him campaigned on, or some of that and some new stuff. So... You know, I mean, there's three ways this happens. It either, there's either a referendum comes forward uh, or uh, when Parliament reconvenes, uh, the, the the caucus invokes the, the Reform Act that was, you know, proposed initially by uh, Michael Chong, a Conservative MP, was re-elected. He's still there. And if, and if uh, 20% of Conservative members of caucus want to initiate a review, that's, that's what will happen. So they've got 100 and uh 19 MPs so you know two dozen conservative MPs say we want to review this it'll happen so that will accelerate the process and the last way is you know at the uh, the next conservative policy convention 2023 August of 2023 that that seems highly unlikely to me you know two years off that they would wait to resolve this it's an untenable situation in that time frame so this has to come to a head sometime, I would say, in, in the next few weeks, uh, you know, a couple of months, maybe. And it depends between now and then how strong the voices for removing Aaron O'Toole get. All right, we'll see what happens there. Let's talk next about the business of Parliament post-election, uh, the decisions for the Prime Minister and his advisors, and how things are going to take shape. And I, I presume, given... What was on the agenda in in the election campaign and and the continuing pandemic uh, that uh, this is not going to be one of those cases where the government takes a lot of time to reconvene and and introduce a throne speech. I would expect it's going to happen sooner rather than later, isn't it? Yeah, I would think so. On the timeline of uh, you know uh, you know three weeks to five weeks in there somewhere uh, would seem like uh, the likely uh, timeline to me. There is a date for resumption of Parliament in the parliamentary calendar. That was date as sort of a placeholder set there when Parliament was dissolved. So you're looking at, you know, October 18th, but that's not set in stone. That can easily be moved. But in terms of what has to happen between now and then, uh, typical of uh, every end of a Parliament and the beginning of a new Parliament, so we'll need a speech from the throne. That's a requirement to, to start Parliament. Pro forma, they'll come back and elect the speaker, and all likelihood, you'd think it would be the speaker was there last time. Anthony Rota was reelected, so that seems like a, a natural thing. And before all of that, uh, Justin Trudeau has to uh, pick a cabinet, and it's you would think uh, most of those cabinet ministers are likely to be uh, the same ones uh, that were there before, with some changes. He's lost three uh, women cabinet ministers, so if he's Sticking to the the promise of gender parity, he will replace those three. And he lost uh, Catherine McKenna, who before the election, uh, uh, she decided not to run again. So he's got some holes to fill, and there's still big question marks around the continued uh, time at defense if if he stays there. Of Harjit Sajjan, the defense minister, uh, he's coming for a rough ride for his handling of that portfolio. And a lot of people clamoring to say, look, maybe it's time to put a, a woman cabinet minister in national defense. We haven't had one since... Kim Campbell in 1993, 
So he's got to make those decisions. Then they have to craft that speech from the throne to get Parliament started, which, as you say, I think is likely to reflect, uh, and why wouldn't it, uh, largely everything in uh, the election platform and uh, with a focus again on trying to get Canada uh, through the pandemic and out the other side. And that also argues for them coming back uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, You know, we urgently needed an election to deal with the pandemic, so it seems... Uh, it would seem, you know, counterintuitive to think it's not so urgent that they need to get back to work pretty quickly. All right. We'll see what happens. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, Mark. Great to talk to you. We'll talk again soon. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Their leaders can face a lot of nasty stuff from inside their caucus, and I suspect that's going to happen with him. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun calls on Conservatives to let Aaron O'Toole make his case. The Sun writes, It's only natural for there to be a debate already surfacing as to whether or not O'Toole should remain as the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. The answer to this isn't to be hasty. O'Toole needs to make his case to caucus and to the party faithful. He surely knows this and will no doubt do it. Conservatives would be well advised to let him make his case and rally the troops around him. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues, Elections Canada needs a major overhaul. Sears writes, This was the worst performance from Elections Canada in decades. We need a major overhaul of recruitment, training, and election readiness. While we're at it, let's add several more advanced polling days, culminating on a Sunday election day, the choice of most democracies around the world. In the National Post, Adam Zevi argues, Canada needs to talk about China's apparent election interference. Zivi writes, The recent election has highlighted an emerging problem that all Canadians should be worrying about, China's interference into our domestic politics. For months, disinformation experts have been sounding the alarm about influence campaigns organized by the People's Republic of China. It's imperative that Canada protect its sovereignty from China, and it is possible and essential to do this in a manner that respects Chinese Canadians. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Green Party leader Annamie Paul will make a statement in Toronto. This follows news that the Green Party is planning to hold a leadership review on November 25th. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, September 27th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.